Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Singularity One-on-One. Singularity One-on-One is a regular podcast feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. As you already may know, my name is Socrates, and I am the man with the questions. Today, my guest on the show is Greg Vienchest, who is another fellow Singularitarian that I met during my time at Singularity University. Greg is not only a PhD graduate from Stanford University, but it's also the author of a new fascinating book about Singularitarian geniuses and visionaries titled Creative Genius in Technologies, in Technology, Mentor Principles from Life Stories of Geniuses and Visionaries of the Singularity. So without further ado, let me say welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you, Socrates. I'm glad to be here. The pleasure is entirely ours. So um, let me start a little bit uh, further back in time by asking you, Greg, how did you get to be interested in technology in general and in the singularity in particular? Yeah, so you you referring yourself to, uh, as, as Socrates, reminds me of a story, actually. Um, when I was at Stanford in grad school, I decided I wanted to have a little vacation because I'd been working really hard. And in a, in a summer program, I met a guy who who told me that he had been at Eos, uh, an island of of, uh, of Greece, and it was just a blast. And I, I looked it up on YouTube, and I saw people dancing, and I thought it looked like a lot of fun. And uh, I had recently read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and he talks about living your dream lines. And I decided that I wanted to go to Greece and, and, and go to one of those islands. So just, just actually about a week later, I'm landing in, uh, in the airport in Athens, and I go to uh, uh, the Acropolis, and, and it's so beautiful up there. It's, it's thousands of years old, and, and I end up taking a picture of myself uh, with my iPhone uh, with, with some friends I had met there, and I end up actually emailing that photo to my family back in California and you know, while I'm still up there on the Acropolis, I get responses back to my email, and it's it's just it's just fantastic, you know, combining the uh, our history, the ancients of uh, democracy, Socrates, plus technology, and then being able to share that with people all around all around the world that you care about, like through the internet. Um, so that's that's just a little story about you know why uh, a reason why technology inspires me so much. My ability to share information with with family and friends and people I care about, um, but I, I personally have been very inspired by technology all throughout my life. Um, my my father worked in the electronics industry. I run a website at Stanford called SU Post, which is a marketplace similar to Craigslist, just just for Stanford students. Um, so I'm personally making a living off of technology. But then I've but then I technologists are really my heroes, uh, such as Ray Kurzweil. Um, and and uh, Vince Cerf, so um, uh, so so my my book is really about um, me me studying these heroes, these great technology geniuses, and just trying to understand their lives and and what makes them tick. And then and honestly, it it, it really links up to me wanting to understand them because I I want to in a way be be like them to be uh, to be creators of new technologies that that changes the world. Let me stop you here for a second and ask you, perhaps we can uh, go back in time a little bit before the book itself, because I assume that you went to Singularity University before deciding to write the book, or 
did you already have that in your as part of your plan right. when you were so, going there? So at that time, I was working on my PhD at Stanford University in developmental and psychological science, and uh, I wasn't sure exactly what to write my dissertation on. And I went to Singularity University in 2009 and encountered people like Ray Kurzweil, Bob Metcalf. Uh, Ray Kurzweil has has uh, the National Medal of Technology. Uh, Bob Metcalf invented the Ethernet. Vint Cerf invented the uh, Internet along with Bob Kahn. And, and so these people, uh, I, I got to know them individually and, and, uh, and saw them for who they are as human beings and, and realized that, that they're not as um, kind of godlike and it's not as kind of impossible as it might seem to, to be like them and create the type of technologies that they create. So that's, that's what led me to wanting, wanting to study these geniuses in technology. And trying to understand how the educational process and how their mentors help to create um, uh, them for uh, their capabilities. So, so that was the center of the research question in my book, which is how, how do mentors uh, cultivate the creativity of geniuses? So um, is your book in that sense then a singularity book or is it an educational book? My, this book did really start with this idea of the singularity. It, it actually started out as my dissertation, and I got back from Singularity University, and, and I was I was sitting at my dorm room at Stanford, and I I asked myself the question, you know, what would I like to write my dissertation on? And and uh, what what really came to me was I'd really like to write it on the the uh, singularity, and the, because of the specific discipline I'm I was in, I needed to write about uh, you know human beings and and their education and, and what influences them psychologically. So I decided to focus on the people that are pushing the singularity forward um, through their technology inventions. But, but technology doesn't create itself, at least not yet. It's people that, that create that technology. So, so we really under, need to understand those people in order to, um, you know, in a way, create more people like that so, so that we can have all the great benefits that the te- technology brings. So if you are to put the gist of your book in a few sentences... How would you describe it? What is your book about? Well, my book is really about understanding the the uh, the role of mentors and education of of geniuses in technology, and I, I I end up actually answering my my research question by proposing my genius theory, and that's six mentor actions that contribute to geniuses' creativity, and I call it. The genius theory in caps: give, energize, nurture, inspire, utilize, and stimulate. So those are those are verbs uh, uh, within this acronym, and and each of those actions stand for even more broader uh, specific actions that mentors can can take to contribute to these geniuses' capabilities. So um, perhaps if you wouldn't mind elaborating a little more on the genius formula, because someone would say, well, doesn't it look too simple? Just like you put genius in a genius in like a six letter or a six action verb abbreviation. And is it really so simple? Right. So the the study was a qualitative study. So I didn't actually start out in mind with this genius theory and attempting to prove it. Rather, I started out the study identifying people that I considered geniuses because of their accomplishments and technology and awards and inventions, and then just asking them about their mentors. And, and through capturing those stories, I identified patterns, and, and I clustered it into these six um, categories of, of mentor actions. So uh, each of these mentor actions are, are, 
have a whole series from from a, a wide variety of geniuses stories that support uh, each each claim. Uh, so I studied fourteen geniuses, and I'd like to actually just, if you don't mind, um, read read off my genius theory. Uh, it's, sure. it's fairly brief. So the first is give encouragement, validation, and self confidence to the genius. You can do it. So that that was just really fundamental. The geniuses were really exploring territories that were unexplored and, and, and trying to blaze new paths. So it was important for them actually to have mentors and role models to say, look, this is hard, but you can do it. Uh, Mildred Dresselhaus, a, a professor at MIT for over 40 years, one of the geniuses I studied, she said she's constantly telling her MIT students, you can do it. You can do it. There's, there's a lot more left in science to discover. Um, and the second is – Energize the genius to explore and experiment in engineering and science discovery and early age. Learn by doing. Uh, so that uh, that links up to the, the third point, which is nurture creative new ideas through play and providing the genius with an abundance of educational resources. Love learning. So so Doug Osheroff, who has a Nobel Prize in physics, and he's a professor at Stanford. I was in his office, and he told me that when he was you know just in grade school, his father used to take him to the hardware store and say, Doug buy pretty much anything you want. And so he would he would buy uh watches and go go home and take it apart, put it back together again. He'd he'd buy different chemicals and make gunpowder, uh shoot off rockets. He actually electrocuted himself at one point. And it was it was just fun. You you just learn by doing and he said in that process he he independently discovered principles of physics. Um and then he later uh, he he had a real tangible sense of that that physics by by what he played as a kid, and then he was able to use kind of that intuition to later uh, make his discoveries in physics for the Nobel Prize. Uh, now, the last three points: inspire through role modeling and mentoring. Set the example. So you might think, well, the geniuses are geniuses; they don't need role models. But in fact, they did have role models and mentors, like Ray Kurzweil, for example. One of his role models and mentors, Marvin Minsky, who is a MIT professor, very influential in um, in artificial intelligence. Uh, next point, utilize unexpected events as opportunities for serendipitous benefit and adapt. Encourage the genius to do the same. Ride the wave. So that's really about technology is moving so quickly. As you know, Socrates, uh, technology is advancing exponentially. We have Moore's Law, many other examples. And so we, we in our brains don't have a good sense for how that technology is going to grow exponentially because we, we think linearly. So things are just coming at us so unexpectedly. So we really need to be able to kind of adapt on the fly. Uh, I asked Bob Kahn, who's one of the fathers of the internet, along with Vint Cerf, what was it like to invent the internet? Uh, he, and he said, early on, networking was a throw-your-career-away move. He was, at, he was at MIT. He's like, it was so esoteric, just theoretical. You know, the other professors, you know, uh, kind of criticize them. Oh, that's that's so theoretical. You need to do something practical, and uh, and eventually, after working on it for a while, he heard about the uh, the original DARPA grant uh, or ARPA ARPANET. They they wanted to build an actual network. Uh, he and then he he ended up winning that grant, and and he and then then it just grew exponentially from there. So now it's really ubiquitous. You know, over a billion people on the internet, almost two billion. Um, so he he said. It was a lot like when I was a kid when I would go whitewater rafting. 
what you do when you're on that raft is you just ride the wave. You just you just hold on tight. Like you don't think too much far in advance, but you just you just in a way try to survive and just just stay afloat. So so that that's what it feels like uh, to invent this type of exponential technology. Uh, my final point here is stimulate the genius to solve problems of practical importance and create beneficial technology solutions. Invent, and actually that's what we as a people, our society want the, the geniuses to do. We want them to invent new technologies for us because those technologies change the world and, and benefit our lives. Um, and as you know, Socrates, uh, we're faced with um, a wide variety of, of really potentially devastating problems like global warming, the energy crisis. And, and without exponential technologies to help solve these problems, uh, we're, we're, we're in trouble. But, but fortunately, we do have these exponential trends at play, like Moore's Law, and we will be able to, to face these. But, but we need geniuses to help drive, the, drive, uh, drive us forward and, 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 and lead us towards beneficial um, you know, end goals. Let me ask you this. Um, everything that you say makes perfectly valid sense, and it's, it's very powerful because it comes from the mouth of, you know, those absolutely proven people with with unbelievable, brilliant track records and amazing accomplishments. Absolutely. So, what does is there any way we can uh, apply this formula, this genius formula, to perhaps Singularity University? Yeah. Uh, because you mentioned the grand challenges that humanity faces, and the whole, pur- the sole purpose of Singularity University is to provide people and companies and solutions to address the grandest challenges of humanity by riding that wave that you mentioned of exponentially growing technologies. Exactly. So as you know, uh, Socrates, Singularity University was formed to try to bring together a cadre of leaders to educate these leaders about exponential technologies and empower them to drive society as a whole to uh, you know better better places. I mean, I've got a friend, Aaron, who's working on <clears throat> building uh, 3D printing in outer space. So imagine that, like satellites printing out different devices. So, so you don't actually have to ship up spare parts, which, which costs millions of dollars. You can print those devices up in the satellites and then, you know, in a way, almost like a nanofactory, uh, create new uh, technologies while up in space. Just, just send digital files and then have those uh, machines up in outer space willing, uh, able to help us with various things. But, uh, but yes, you know, the, this, this idea that technology doesn't create itself currently, like we need humans to create those technologies. Um, and and my, my book, I think, is very important because it captures those stories from the, those geniuses, which, which are valuable in itself. It's like nuggets of knowledge and inspiration. But if you look at them broadly, you, you do see patterns. And uh, I, did, I did identify this pattern of, of my genius theory. It's sort of a recipe for genius to create new geniuses. But there are other patterns as well that are of value in, in those stories. But, uh, you know, w- one of my first points is give encouragement, validation, and self-confidence to the genius. You can do it. So I, I actually have a story from uh, Vint Cerf I'd love to share with you, um, sure. Socrates. So, so this, this, this is almost a, uh, a, a specific example of what a teacher could do. Like, you know, this is independent of Singularity University. This is just one teacher in a classroom. And, you know, if that teacher identifies a student that uh, he or she thinks is amazing, she could do something like this. So this, this story comes from Vint Cerf, and I call it Expression of Confidence from the Teacher. And so this is about Vint Cerf, who's the father of the internet, when he's in just fifth grade, and he's getting bored with school. He, like, 
school is too easy. He like what uh, he, he's starting to lose interest and he, and he, and he approaches the teacher and he's like, look, this is boring. Like I want more. And, and here, here's Vince Cerf. The first memory comes in the fifth grade. I'm bored with the fifth grade math book. So I went to the teacher and I complained and I said, there's got to be more than this addition, subtraction, multiply, multiplication, and division. So he said, yeah, there is. And he gave me a seventh grade algebra book. I took it home over the summer and worked every problem in the book and I loved it. The word problems especially. It was sort of like an Agatha Christie novel. You had to figure out what's X, you know, who done it. So I enjoyed the problem solving. I enjoyed especially formulating the equation from the word problem. It was pretty. It was this terse expression from this long narrative. You could put it together. And because it was in that form, it became, how, uh, it became clear how you went about solving the problem, which taught me that problem expression is sometimes as important as figuring out the solution. If you don't have the problem expressed in the right form, the solution won't become apparent. Transformation of variables is one of the most power, powerful tools in mathematics. It has the side effect of transforming a problem that you don't recognize into one that you've already solved. So it's a very clever tactic and one I still believe in today, not just for mathematics. So I learned a lot from that experience in the fifth grade. And I would say that it had two direct impacts. The first one, of course, was just getting to do the algebra earlier than I would have otherwise. It stimulated my interest in mathematics. This, but this was also an expression of confidence from the teacher, someone I respected, that I could actually do the math, that I could do it on my own, building up my self-confidence. We sometimes call that mathematical maturity, although I hesitate to use the term in the context of seventh grade algebra, as opposed to some serious tensors you'd find in Riemann geometry. So it was a very foundational kind of experience. And obviously the fact that I recalled it now means it stuck with me a very long time. So, so just, just picture that. Imagine, imagine yourself in the fifth grade and being bored with school and then a teacher saying, look, I believe in you. I think you can do seventh grade math. And think about how uh, inspiring that would be. And, and so that, that confidence from when he was just a little kid stayed with him. And he ended up actually going to Stanford and doing a, a degree in mathematics. Uh, I, I incidentally, incidentally did a, a degree in mathematics from Stanford. And he goes to UCLA, meets Bob Kahn. And ends up writing the TCP/IP paper that was the blueprint for the internet. So, I mean, uh, the t the teachers play a very uh, foundational experience. But it's not just teachers; it's also uh, you know role models, uh, parents. Uh, Rita Colwell, who was the first female director of the NSF, talked about how her father was very instrumental in encouraging her because at that time women weren't supported in science and technology. But but her father believed in her. And, um, and said, look, Rita, you're going to go to college um, and you're going to be amazing. So, um, so those, those kind of uh, uh, examples, you know, other people could emulate and help inspire the next generation of, of geniuses and technology. So, Greg, you had some pretty unique access to some of the most incredible people of technology who yes. have impacted progress in our civilization for the last two or three decades. Um, Perhaps you'd like to share a couple of your most favorite stories with us today, um, given that uh, our audience is very singularity uh, interested. Uh, perhaps we can say one with Ray Kurzweil and one with somebody else. Mm -hmm. if you yeah, will. yeah. I, I would love to share some stories with you. But also I'd like just to make a point of, yes, I did have access to these amazing people, but uh, but the, the readers can also have access to these people by, by reading my book and listening to these stories. 
but it's also amazing how open these people were to talking. They're they're not like you know celebrities like you know Britney Spears or something. They actually will talk to you, and if you have questions, you can email them, and you might even be able to get get together with them for coffee. So I, I'd encourage readers if they're uh, inspired to talk to them, you know, give it a shot as well. Um, so the first uh, story I'd like to read is actually uh, from Rita Colwell, who's who was the first female director of the NSF, and she won a National Medal of Science Award. And this story is called, What is in your brain is yours and no one else's. I had a very nurturing father with respect to education. My father's maxim was, your worldly possessions can be taken away from you, but what is in your brain is yours and no one else's. And he was extremely supportive, considering that I was a girl. What was also unusual was that my mother died when I was just 14 or 15, We had a very unpleasant traditional aunt who made it clear that she was sacrificing to come and tend to the house, to the house cleaning and all that. Oh, yeah, assisting, making sure that we all understood how much she was doing for us. But I remember overhearing a conversation where she was trying to persuade my father to send me to secretarial school, that it was a waste of money to send a girl to college. I was in tears. My father, after she had left, said, what's bothering you? What's the matter? And I said, well, I want to go to college very badly. And he says, of course you're going to college. And I said, but aunt is against it. And he said, well, have I listened to her before? So a very nurturing father who was very proud of my achievements and my first book I dedicated to him. So you can see the role of the father there. She was really at a turning point where she almost was, felt like she might have to give up because uh, some of her support infrastructure, her aunt was against her pursuing higher education. But her father said, no, look, you're going to do this, you know, whether the aunt supports or not, we're going to, uh, we're going to move forward and you're going to be well-educated and, and you're, you're going to be, uh, you know, amazing in science. Uh, now another story, uh, or, uh, just, just kind of a memory I, I, uh, uncovered was from Ray Kurzweil. And this story is called confirmation that I was on the right path. I didn't need a lot of encouragement. I had some mentors who were really very encouraging because they saw that I was creative. And so there were some teachers. I mean, I don't uh, remember all that many people's names from junior high school or high school, but my math teacher in seventh grade and also eighth grade and ninth grade, Miss Matwell, she was very enthusiastic about my computer projects because I was building computers in junior high school. I remember her. And then there was the physics teacher, Mr. Uh, Rabin- Rabinowitz. He was Jacob Rabinowitz, Mr. Ewan. He was also my math teacher in high school, and they and they encouraged me. He kind of mentored me when I was doing my Westinghouse science uh, talent search project to see how, uh, uh, as part of the, the the science talent search, that's how I got to meet uh, President Johnson. Uh, and I'll, I'll just skip it ahead a little bit, um, and. Uh, well, I, I, I think that's enough. So, uh, so you can see that the, the geniuses, uh, now are sort of in fully formed adult mode and they're driving progress forward, but they had these experiences as, as children that, um, helped to create the foundation for their confidence and their creativity and, and help to allow them to shine and express their creativity and actually have a bit of a metaphor that's illuminating. So, when I, when I was hearing these stories and I was looking at the patterns in the stories of, of how the mentors contributed to the genius's education and inspiration and confidence, uh, I thought of uh, a quote I heard about Michelangelo. And Michelangelo, of course, is the great uh, sculpture, uh, sculpture artist. 
and and he described the process of creating his great uh, pieces of art. And he would say he would take the marble, and instead of <clears throat> creating a, a a sculpture out of that marble, he would really just look at that marble and 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 look for the sculpture already hidden within the stone itself, the 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 marble. It, that that was created by the the earth the, through the cracks and ridges, and it was his job as the artist to just brush away almost sand from from that sculpture that was already hidden within the the marble, and and so in the same way, these geniuses the, through their DNA and through who they are sort of biologically, um, and also perhaps their nurture as well, of course. There are already geniuses within, but then these these mentors and educators and teachers help to form who they are as geniuses by just brushing away um, the sand from the stone. And so, so the, the the geniuses need role models and mentors, uh, and and so that should make us all feel empowered that we can help contribute to 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 uh, to form geniuses for the future and, and of course these geniuses will drive progress forward in technology and, and lead us towards the singularity that's fascinating greg so we are approaching uh, towards the end of our interview today and i would like to ask you where can our viewers and listeners go and find more information both about you and about your book today Absolutely. Uh, so I created a website called GeniusStory.com. So that's only one S, like Genius Story. And that has uh, some, some, a few stories from my, my book on the webpage. It has a slideshow of some of the geniuses like Ray Kurzweil, Bob Metcalf, Rita Colwell, um, Vince Cerf, Tim Berners-Lee. And, uh, and then there's also a link to buy the book. And then you can see the genius theory, uh, my big idea, this, this recipe for genius of how to uh, like a blueprint to create the next generation of geniuses and technology. Uh, so that that's probably the best way. You can also go on Amazon and, and buy the book. I, I believe it's also on the iPad and the Kindle. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And I, of course, will post links to those. Uh, finally, do you have a single message, the most important thing that you would like our viewers and listeners to take away from your, your interview today? What would that Abs be? Absolutely. So I, I uh, I was at the Singularity Summit in San Jose in 2008, I believe it was. And after the summit, I was out on the patio, and I I was with Ray Kurzweil, and I I looked into his eyes, and I said, Ray, I I I agree with the ideas you're saying. Clearly, there are exponential technology or exponential trends in technology. Like look at Moore's law, and you know now nowadays we have the iPhone. Who would have imagined that uh, f just five years ago? And, um, uh, but, and I, and I asked Ray, why, why are you talking about this? Why are you talking about the singularity? Cause I'm not, I'm not as sort of extroverted as, as he is in a way about talking about these ideas. And he said, um, uh, and, and, you know, wh why are you talking about it? Why don't you just take this knowledge and go invent and create new technologies and be an amazing entrepreneur, which he is an amazing entrepreneur and amazing inventor. But he said, Greg, it's important to talk about the singularity because many people out in the world don't understand they don't have this vision of of where technology is going and it's important for them to 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 be able to imagine and understand uh where the technology is headed towards the singularity because we have so many problems in the world and i referred to this earlier like global warming and the energy crisis you know bioterrorism and a lot of people get depressed they just get down in the dumps sad about these problems and they feel almost helpless and victimized and he said 
with these technologies, we can solve these problems, but we have to be smart about how we do it. And it, and it doesn't, doesn't just happen. It's not inevitable. We, we will it to happen. These, these technologies are created by human beings. And so he wants to share this vision of the singularity with the world because they, they need to have that first blueprint in their mind of where we could be and how we could solve these problems with the technology. And, and, and that will help us steer our efforts in the right directions instead of getting sort of victimized and down the dumps. Or, you know, we could, we could be spending all day bridge, uh, building bridges and, and dams to try to hold back the ocean from, you know, consuming our cities. But, you know, instead, you know, we might be able to have an artificial tree and, and take, take out the carbon dioxide with our technologies, but be smart about it so we don't uh, screw things up worse. Um, and so, uh, so my big idea for, for the readers and for, uh, for the listeners now is just that it's important to understand the singularity and, and, and the exponential trends of technology, but then also feel the sense of empowerment that I can do something about this. It's not just inevitable or I'm not a victim, but I can help shape the world in, in a positive directions. Like, like Steve Jobs, you know, he, he took Apple from, it was about to go out of business to now it's the most valuable company in the world to my knowledge. And now we have the iPhone and the iPad and, and that's, that's changing the world. So, um, so it's, it's, it's really the sense of, you know, you can do it. Uh, f- you should feel empowered as an individual to help improve the world. And, 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 a technolo- and, t- and inventing new technologies is a great way to do it because it has such a high leverage, uh, uh, sort of amplification effect on, 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 on your impact for positive change. Greg Vienches, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Socrates. Glad to be here. Thank you.